We are diving deep on economic inequality today with Bryn Conroy. It's a good one, so you want to make sure you listen all the way to the end. Are you tired of the traditional money advice? Me too. Bienvenida. Welcome to the Her Money Matters podcast. Join me each week for down-to-earth money conversations that will leave you with more confidence and inspiration to help you take control of your money. And you will probably learn some Spanish along the way too. Lista? You ready? Empecemos with. Let's get started. Hola, bienvenida. I am thrilled to have you with us. This is Jen Hemphill, your host, and today we are going to be diving deep into the economic inequality women face. We may not each face each of these inequalities, but some of us do. And if you don't, it's good to be aware of what exists and reflect on it. And you may know someone who does face some of these inequalities. So it's just good to know. In this episode, you're going to learn the five terms we need to be aware of when it comes to economic inequality. We're also going to learn the answer and explanation to the question, can we have it all? And why each partner should have a set of their own monetary funds, as well as we're going to learn some impactful stats on mental health and how this pertains to money. Let me share with you a little bit about Bryn Conroy. She is the creator and primary writer of Femme Frugality, an award-nominated women's finance blog she started seven years ago. She is also the author of the Feminist Financial Handbook, an upcoming tome on how to handle your finances when you're facing intersectional oppression. Lista? You ready? Vamos a conocer a Bryn. Let's go meet Bryn. Bienvenida, Bryn, to the Her Money Matters podcast. I am so thrilled to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Jen. Well, let's dive right in. Why don't we? I want to hear and we want to learn more about you and your money story. How did you grow up around money? What did you hear? What did you experience? What did you see? Tell us. Definitely. I grew up, I was very lucky. I grew up in an apparently middle-class um, household. As with a lot of middle-class households, um, my family struggled with debt a lot, but that wasn't something that I really learned about until I was much older. I was lucky in a lot of the basic areas of personal finances. My parents were very keen to teach me lessons. Like the first time I had to go get car insurance, I had to call around and get quotes, even though, shout out to USAA, we have it. <laughs> We have USAA and they have the best rates ever pretty much almost all the time on insurance products anyways. So they knew that that was going to be the cheapest option in the end, but they still forced me to call around or that I wasn't going to get put on their policy. Like little little things like that, comparison shopping, learning the value of work and everything. All of that went really well. When I was 16 or 17, I actually moved away from home and started providing for myself. And there was not a whole lot of financial support behind me. So I lived maybe about 10 years of my life uh, in poverty, but working through the whole thing. 
And yeah, so that that kind of gave me a, a whole other perspective. But also I was very lucky because of the background that I had. I had a lot of belief in myself that I could, if I worked hard enough, achieve. And so that allowed me to hold on to, um, I guess, fiscal hope a little bit longer than a lot of other people who I found myself surrounded by. Um, it was very hard for them to believe that there was a way up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did all the hard work, learned, <laughs> learned all the things, got better jobs and progressively worked my way up the ladder from there. Love it. Now you do have this book coming out on Friday. So in a few days, uh, October 15th called the Feminist Financial Handbook, which literally I'm at the edge of my seat to discuss. Well, actually, really, I just stand, I just stood up just from the excitement. But before we (laughs) dig in, I want to acknowledge you because holy moly, the research that went into it, the resources and how you compiled it in the book, the people you had discussions with, I have to give it to you because that took you took your book writing to another level. I wrote a book, but goodness, this is just a whole nother level with the resources, with the citing of the research, with the people that you had discussions with. So I really bow down to you and I congratulate you because this is a huge feat for sure. (laughs) Well, thank you. And one thing about writing it was too, was that looking at feminism and really, I really wanted to focus on the intersectionality of it. Um, Mm -hmm. Because it's not just about being a woman, like it's about what is it like to be a transgender woman or a gay woman or a disabled woman or a woman of color. And a lot of those things are things that I don't have experience with. So I was actually a little a little bit tentative about writing about them at all. So I decided that a good way to kind of approach that topic was to listen to the stories of other women and kind of let them let them speak to it through their own lived experience and just kind of put it in their words um, and, and see how their experiences kind of reflected the bigger picture. Right. It makes sense. So you wanted to discuss about the intersectionality. So is this why you wrote this book? Just tell us the behind the scenes. Why did you write this book? What, what came? Why did you choose this topic? I noticed you mentioned from your money story that a, a part of your money story, you lived in poverty. So is that, did that have an impact? So tell us why. Yeah. Um, I mean, just I guess in my personal life overall, I was raised uh, maybe unsurprisingly in a very conservative household with very conservative values and kind of worldview points. And I think living that period of my life in poverty and without without anybody to really harken back on, because like most college kids, they go to school and like they're but you have a bedroom to go home to. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, you you still have that support. And that was something that I didn't really have. And it kind of made me realize a small portion of all of the struggles that other people go through that I was kind of missing in my worldview. And it really it really shifted things a lot for me personally. By the time I started writing about finances, I was pretty solid in that shift. But something that I feel like is a lot of times missing from the narrative are those greater social issues that whether we like to admit it or not affect people's personal economies. Um, And so looking at those, acknowledging them, giving them credence, and then also looking at where we can, there are ways to address them or work around the negative societal impacts that we face in our own personal finances. Love it. So 
I know it's called the Feminist Financial Handbook. So tell us a little bit about the woman who you really, really want to pick up the book. Of course, anybody can pick up the book, but who do you really, truly want to pick up the book? Oh, man. So I'm going to give you two answers to this, if that's okay. Oh, absolutely. Um, My first answer is going to be maybe somebody who has seen these personal finance books floating around before and just thinks like, oh, this isn't for me. I don't have any money. There's no way I could do any of this. Must be nice to be able to do X, Y, Z, but I don't have the resources to accomplish it. And there's a lot of stories and a lot of um, resources within the text that really speak to that, like people who find themselves in that situation. And I really want to stress that it's not necessarily like my book is for beginners um, because that's not how I view it. I don't view personal finance as a skill ladder. And if you are unskilled, you must be poor. I think that's a very shallow way of thinking, looking at things. But it is looking at um, situations that you might find yourself in when you've been disadvantaged. So yeah, if you're lower income or even middle lower income or even if you're middle income and you don't like to admit that you might be lower income. Um, If you find yourself in any of those categories, for sure, you'll want to read it. There's really good resources that I think will help. And the second group of people, I think is just anybody, male, female or whatever, especially if you haven't faced any of these obstacles personally in your own life or if they haven't touched anyone personally in your own life that you can think of, at least not in a deep way. I would definitely recommend picking up the book just to kind of explore some of these narratives and expose yourself to some experiences that might be outside of your own life. Um, And because I think a lot of these issues, as much as we try to work around them individually, the real way that things are going to change is by opening up and having these conversations and looking problems that don't necessarily affect us individually square in the eye so that we can address them at a larger level. Right. Makes sense. And there's a lot. I mean, this book goes deep. So when a reader picks up this book and finishes reading the book, what would you like? What is one thing that you would really want them to walk away with? Probably that hope and probably acknowledgement that money isn't everything. So I have this thing that I used to always say on my blog, it's money isn't the key to happiness, but poverty can rain on your parade. And I think that's really what it is, is like finding the resources that you need to get to a place where you're comfortable without losing your mind and soul to the pursuit of cash so that you can still have some happiness and contentment in your life while you're not struggling because there is a real stress and real struggle to living with next to nothing. Absolutely. Now in the book, like I said, it goes deep. And when I say it goes deep, like it really goes deep. There are five different terms and I don't want you to go into the definitions of all of them, but I'm going to share the terms that you go into uh, for those listening. Intersectional feminism, and please, uh, Bryn, if I mispronounce the, these terms, uh, correct me. <laughs> uh, no, hierarchy, good. because these are deep words, I think. Heteronormativity, cisnormativity, and disableism. So do you go deep into these words uh, throughout the book? And again, we don't need to know the meanings for all of them. We'll tackle a few during the course of this interview. But if you could tell us why these terms in general are just important. Why did you bring them up? Why did you know, why did you bring them up to the surface and why do they matter? Yeah, definitely. Um so a lot of times we'll talk about the patriarchy. Um and we're all kind of familiar with that what that means and what feminism means. And we talked a little bit uh, off the top there about intersectional feminism and how like it's not just being oppressed 
because of your sex. It's all these other things. So that's really intersectional feminism. Hierarchy is like kind of addressing the fact that intersection exists in oppression. So it's not just men that are keeping women down. There's all of these systems and all of us. I mean, you could be a white man and totally be oppressed by either growing up economically disadvantaged or having a disability. Like there's all these different ways that each one of us face oppression. And yeah, so it's looking at the hierarchical system rather than just patriarchy. Um, And cisnormity and heteronormativity, those have to do with the LGBT community and how we consciously and unconsciously kind of impose (laughs) oppression on those communities. And what was the last one we were talking about? Disableism. Disableism. Mm-hmm. So that's just, yeah, that's kind of the, it's harmful assumption that disabled people cannot do anything or take care of anything. Or sometimes it manifests as like, um, you're trying to establish your own valiancy by mm-hmm. helping when in all reality, what you're actually doing is hindering the advocacy and speaking for, <laughs> listen to me as I speak about this on a podcast, but like speaking for somebody else who has that lived experience is actually hindering them from sharing their own stories and their own ways of contributing to the world, which they are perfectly capable of. Just it might not be in the typical way that you're used to. Right. What I love about what you've done here is that it's definitely different from a lot of personal finance books. You're not telling us how to budget or how to get out of debt. You're not telling telling us about any of that. But what you are bringing to the table is the society aspect and really a cultural, uh, what this, as you mentioned, the systems that are already in place that we are dealing with. And I love that because that's a sheds a different light to money that we do need to know about and we do need to be aware about. So I absolutely love that. So I wanted to jump into the first chapter. We're not going to go chapter by chapter, but the first chapter grabbed my attention where it answers the question, can we have it all? In simple terms, you say, no, you can't. So tell us about that. Why can't we have it all? And what do you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that especially as women, we are expected to do it all because we culturally are just coming out of this period in the big picture where we were domestic and we raised children and we that was all that we did exclusively. And now we still culturally are held to those same responsibilities as if nothing else were on our plate. When in all reality, for most households in this country, it takes a dual income to get by. So it's not even about choosing which parent will stay home. Is it mom or dad? It's the fact that, hey, like we in most households, we're going to have to have two parents working. So you've got a professional life. You've got a career. You've got all of these responsibilities that it's kind of antiquated, but we still carry the same responsibilities socially that we um, had before we were allowed to enter the workplace. So, yeah, so I think there's a lot of pressure to just kind of do and be everything. And we beat ourselves up over that a lot. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that it's something that that's attainable, this whole work-life balance thing. Um, now, what I do think is a little bit more realistic is something called flow. Um, and the idea of that is you kind of just go with what's working well. Like you are not going to be able to go full force at everything all the time or you're going to burn yourself out. And it's going to be bad news. But if you let's say that I am working in sales, right? And I have five grand of sales this week. But guess what? My house is disgusting. And I haven't done laundry. And my kids have been tearing things up. But I'm going to be okay with that this week. Because this is my peak time of year to bring in commissions. 
And I'm going to keep going with that. And I'll take care of the house whenever things slow down a little bit. And that's okay. And the fact that the house is a mess is not a reflection on me. It's a reflection of everyone who lives here. Um, And even if you're single and your house is a mess, that's okay. Because again, you can't be all of these things at one time. And I think we need to kind of remove the pressure from ourselves to, to become that unattainable thing. I agree because now with the world of social media and the perfect pictures, right? <laughs> Where everybody oh gosh, should, yeah. is happy. Yeah. And even though they may, they may have been happy at that moment, the, the picture was captured. It's not a true, uh, picture of their life all the time, right? So I, some, some people are starting to get more real and being more, more vulnerable, but I think we can do more because it does put pressure on everybody to, well, oh, well, they've got it together. They're the superwoman mom that is working and has a successful career and she's cooking all the time and cleaning. And I'm thinking, and guess it ain't happening. She might be cooking <laughs> and, and cleaning, but maybe someone's helping her with the kids, right? So there's those yeah. things. That, so I, I love that you bring that. That's why I wanted to bring it up because I feel it's just so, so true. And I think we just have to give us uh, grace and and flexibility to just do us, right? What that means to us, whatever that is, and really just take it in stride. And uh, just because just be happy with what you accomplished for the day and and celebrate that, right? Definitely. And I think another big thing is like kind of reevaluating every once in a while, because as we as time goes on, and our lives change, our priorities and what's important to us changes. Like I If we're talking about family or something, there's points in my life where my kids have been number one, they had to be, they were the forefront of my concerns and I worked very, very limited hours. And then there's other points where that part of my life is going like, all right, and work is like my number one thing. Like, okay, we had like a period where I was able to take care of the home front. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now let's address like the economic front. Um, And so I think really just taking stock and it doesn't even just have to be work or kids. It can be like maybe volunteer work is important to you, some type of meaningful work or religion is important to you. It really is going to vary depending on each individual and not just that, but allow yourself to change and allow your priorities to change too. Love it. Love it. And another topic that you cover in your book that I I definitely want to dive into is you mentioned having separate finances in marriage. So let's talk about that. This is probably my least popular opinion. (laughs) (laughs) I love this. So I don't know. Where do you want to start? Well, you share in the book that you really recommend that the woman have some sort of separate money, right? Yeah. So talk to me about that. Why? Gotcha. Well, I think that it's really nice to think that we are always going to get along and that things will always be as they are now. But I think with any relationship and uh, marital statistics have shown this since the 1980s and stayed pretty steady. Um, in, in the United States, it's about 50% of women that are going to actually see their 20th wedding anniversary. Um, those are some pretty, pretty intense statistics. Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. Nobody 
say if maybe Kim Kardashian the first time walks down the aisle and thinks that they're going to get divorced the next day. Like, that's just not something that that we go into marriage thinking. But yet it happens to 50 percent of us. There's so many other things that are less likely to happen in the financial world that we do insure against. We're told to get renter's insurance, life insurance. My odds of dying right now um, before age 60 are 4.7 percent as an American woman. Um, And that's very general. That doesn't take into account my lifestyle or anything. That's just every single American woman. But with all of these things, we are highly encouraged by the financial industry to really insure against the worst. Mm -hmm. And then with something that is as common as divorce, to not have at least some separate finances, it just seems like madness to me because it's far more likely to happen than all these other things we're shelling out premiums for every month. Right. You and should I'll, still have insurance, by the way. You're like, not by the way, I'm not getting insurance. <laughs> I hear that. I hear, I hear that. Now, when you said this, it, it took me back years when I think it was either when I was about to get married or when I was newlywed. And I'll never forget this day because it just struck a chord with me. I had, I was with one of my mom's childhood friends, best friends since forever. And I, and I didn't know at this, at this time, but later on, I found out that her and her husband were having some marital issues. So she had taken me to a play and it was just her and I, we were spending some time together. And she mentioned, uh, she gave me some advice about marriage and it was about finances and having uh, my own money that she's like, I, you definitely do need to have your own money. Uh, that, and sh- she was adamant about that. And then at that time, how I've viewed marriage, everything was, you know, you're one, right? You're one, everything's joint. And so I, it really struck me. I'm like that because I had, I saw where she was coming from, but at the same time, oh no, that is really, that might not be a good thing because then that's a sign of that you lack confidence in your marriage. So I had all these thoughts, right? Because that's some of the things that come up. And, but I do agree with this in terms of having money. And because one thing that when I work with my clients, I think he had, you know, there should be his money and her money to do what they want to do with, right? Because especially now in the day of age that we're living, we don't want to hover over each other. What did you do with that money? Where did you right. spend it, right? We want you to have that. don't want to babysit your spouse. Yeah. Right. We want to have that sense of freedom. And really to be able to spend that money. So I always say, have some money set aside uh, for you and some for your husband where there's no questions asked. Wherever you want to spend it, spend it. But it's like a no questions asked fun. And I think that's really helpful, especially in marriages. I know it has helped us because at the very beginning, it was with my husband. I'm like, why are you spending so much money, let's say on chips? Because I thought it was like, it's not really necessary to spend. He loved barbecue chips. But once I started really maturing, if you want to call it that, or growing, I realized that it, there was really this importance of having that separate money. Now, it's not to be confused, again, to lacking confidence, or if you're mistrust, if you don't want to separate that money, if you're mistrusting your spouse, right? So I think that's a different way of thinking, but it's really the autonomy that it gives you, that independence that it gives you. If you're doing it for those intentions, I think it's fine. But when you're separating money because, oh, I don't trust my spouse or you don't have confidence in marriage, I think that's a whole nother conversation. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. So two things with that. Like the first is that 
when you are separating your finances, I am not advocating doing any of this secretly. This should be done like out in the open. Everybody should know about it. Oh, you don't need to monitor like how many pennies each person has or what they are saving or spending. Um, I advocate savings, but that's just me. And I do like the idea of separate spending accounts, though. I that seems super healthy. I like to turn this argument on its head, right? Because most people think like, oh, well, if you have, if you want your money separate from your spouse, it must mean that you don't trust them. Right. And for me, it feels a lot more respectful and trusting to let your partner manage their own money in that way. And it's also kind of acknowledging like, hey, I love you. I am never going to leave you and I'm never going to hurt you. But I say that now and I also recognize that the stats aren't in our favor. And I love you enough and I respect you enough to allow you to protect yourself, to allow you to build up that savings so that if the worst ever does happen, you are taken care of and you are okay. And that's kind of how I I frame it in my own mind because it's not about a lack of trust. It's about respecting yourself Mm -hmm. enough to acknowledge that the math is just, I mean, it's 50-50 in your favor, but those are some pretty risky stats. Right. And it's also acknowledging that you are an individual, right? Granted, you come into a marriage to be one in terms of the partnership, but you yourself and your partner are also individuals. And I think you have to acknowledge that and respect their wants and likes and their aspirations. And I think I think that part is important because like I told you, when my mom's friend shared that with me, it just kind of hit me like, oh, I don't know if I like this because again, right. I, it was either right. I was just a, a newlywed or is about to get married and she's telling me, oh my goodness, you need to, I took it as you need to mistrust your your partner right away. And I'm like, uh, I love him. I think, you know, that type of thing. So, but I just yeah. think it's important to have this conversation because it's, it's not again to have money separate, like you mentioned, secretively. You have to have this discussion, right? And really do it with the intention of the autonomy. Do it the, or in terms of just being able to have, be your own person with that set amount of money. And so w- if you have those good intentions, right, I think that's going to go a long way. It's going to go for a healthier, happier marriage. Granted, I haven't been married 50 years, but in my experience, that that has helped us a lot. Yeah, definitely. And I want to disclose totally by saying like I've been through divorce. Like mm. so like you can take my words either as words learned from experience and maybe even wisdom like of what not to do the first time, but also like I'm well aware like I want to be transparent with you guys like I have been divorced, but I still think that there is um a lot of value in kind of protecting yourself and Absolutely. I feel like I I'm not saying these words out of bitterness out of because I'm angry about my experiences, but because I wish that somebody had kind of told me this the Absolutely. first time around. Oh, I and I wouldn't you. have been receptive. I, I, I would have been just like you. I would have been like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> I love him. <laughs> right, right. No, but I think it's important. I wanted to bring this up because it can bring, I think you mentioned is one of your least popular or or that brings up a lot of, of commotion uh, saying this, but I think Definitely, it's important uh, topic to talk about. And the other part that I think is important is that it helps you on the other front. You're able to manage money and make sure that you manage it well, right? So that's the other piece in this because with women, if you're in a partnership where the man or your partner manages the money and you're not doing anything with it and something happens, your partner passes away or you get divorced or whatever happens and you're by yourself, 
then what, right? And you haven't managed your money, right? Then, then what, right? So in, in addition to any, uh, you're grieving at the, your partner passed or, or their divorce is, you know, very emotional. In addition to all those emotionals or uh, emotions that you're dealing with and with the grieving, you have to deal with figuring out what's going on with the money. That's not cool, right? So if you even had that money, uh, you know, that separate money, it's going to help you really understand and better manage your money. So just some thoughts. I, obviously, I can go on and on and on, <laughs> but that's not why we're <laughs> here today. <laughs> now, I wanted to dive into one more topic before we wrap it up, and that is the topic of mental health. So I know in your book, you talk about this. So mental health issues and finances, because women are affected more uh, than men. So talk to me about this. Yes. So it's actually really interesting. This is something that I did not know until I started. Well, in certain instances, I did. But like specifically with depression and anxiety, which are the two that I think people see most often or at least are most familiar with. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. But um, like with with those two disorders, women have depression and anxiety and are diagnosed with it twice as often as men. And that's pretty significant, I feel like. Um, there are some theories that that is because of hormonal changes. Um, I tend to subscribe to um, the idea that women face a lot of societal challenges um, in the way that we're socialized that might lead to being depressed or feeling anxious. But that's just me. Um, but it's when we go through these things, whether it be depression, anxiety, PTSD, which women tend to incur more often than men after experiencing a trauma, um, postpartum depression, bipolar 2, which women also are diagnosed with at much higher rates than men. Any of these things that you go to go through, they're going to affect your day to day life. They're going to affect your ability maybe to remember to pay bills on time. Um, with PTSD and anxiety in particular, it affects how risky you're willing to go with your portfolio. So you might be overly conservative, which is not a good thing when you're a woman because we need more money and we already save less than men statistically. And there's countless other ways. Um, if these uh, disabilities get bad enough that you end up not being able to go into a traditional job or not being able to focus on work because you're legitimately going through a mental illness, um, you are. it's going to affect your ability to bring in an income. And a lot of people aren't aware of the protections for them under the ADA. But even if you are, it's, it's not going to be an easy road for you as far as your career goes. So it really can affect your money in so, so many ways. Wow. This... I wish we could, we had time for more because your book dives into so many fascinating topics that we could probably spend a couple hours on this. <laughs> but of course, the time has run out for this. Uh, Bren, I really, really, truly congratulate you on this book because it's fantastic. I'm excited to see you get this in the hands of many, many people. So it releases on October 15th in just a few days. Where can people find your book? Absolutely. So you guys can find it on Amazon. You can actually pre-order it right now. You can also pre-order it on Barnes & Noble. And yeah, if you pre-order it now, you'll be one of the first people to get it when it comes out in a few days. But even if you want to order after October 15th, it'll still be at those venues. 
And is there an advantage for pre-ordering just that you get it and you get it earlier? What's the pre, what's the advantage of pre-ordering the book? You get it early. Also get my eternal love. That's about <laughs> <Love> it. it. <laughs> like, I love that I don't know, answer. Maybe, maybe um, we're recording this a little bit earlier. So maybe between now and then I'll like get a bonus chapter together or something <laughs> for you guys. But <laughs> I love it. I love that answer. Well, you get it early, but you get my eternal love as well. <laughs> I was curious. Awesome, Brent. Well, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate your time and sharing tidbits of the book. I uh, wish we, I can't wait to dive into it deeper. And uh, because everything that you shared is just so spot on, like I mentioned, the time and the research that you took, the people that you spoke to, it's fantastic. So again, I congratulate you. I can't wait to see you, you know, with this book just fly. So congratulations. Thank you so much. That was super interesting, wasn't it? I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed chatting with Bryn. Let's do La Mención Semanal, the weekly shout out. And this week, it goes to someone all the way in the Philippines. I haven't shared any reviews lately. I realize that I'm like, I have to share the reviews of wonderful things and beautiful things and touching things that y'all are saying about the podcast. So this review, the subject line says, Jennifer is a great host. Of course, you all call me Jen. My full name is Jennifer, but I do go by Jen. And it comes from, again, from the Philippines. And I'm going to attempt my very best to pronounce the name. So I apologize in advance. And please let me know how to pronounce your name. So this comes from Sao. Sarsi Sky. Let's just go by Sky. <laughs> and she mentions, I think she, uh, Jennifer is one of the greatest hosts I've encountered. And when I read that, that made me blush. She doesn't just provide great content. She makes it so in a way that it's not just insightful, but entertaining as well. Those words just touched my heart because one, I have to now live up to the <laughs> expectations of being a great host. I appreciate the touching words. I do my very best. So now I've got some big shoes to fill and make sure I don't let you all down. So I really, really appreciate that. I'm going to say Sky because I don't want to mispronounce uh, your first name. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't normally ask uh, for reviews, but if you feel up to it, that would mean the world to me to just go to iTunes and leave a review for the podcast. Uh, that would be amazing. Let's get back to today's chat with Bryn. FYI, that book, we've, you've heard us talk about her book, The Feminist Financial Handbook, and it's going to be available soon. If you're listening to this the day it goes out, so if you're listening to this on a Thursday, October 11th of the year 2018, because you may be listening to this a year later, the book is not yet out but you can pre-order your own copy. Uh, so if this is a subject that captivated you and you want to dig deeper, I encourage you to go ahead and grab your copy. Again, it's called The Feminist Financial Handbook. I have the Amazon link for you in today's show notes. And after you purchase it, it would mean the world to her for you just to write a review, let her know your honest thoughts on the book. Because as authors, as you know, I am one, those reviews on Amazon are gold, like literally gold. That's how Amazon, based on those reviews and the number of reviews, unfortunately, it's about numbers. That's how they, they do some magical calculation or formula, but those reviews help 
the book be out there more or visible to more people. So make sure uh, to take your time to write her a review if you get uh, a copy and read it. So that would be greatly appreciated. I really enjoyed this chat with Brynn, as I mentioned earlier. I absolutely love her heart. Can't say enough great things about her. And I hope that this chat gave you a broader perspective of the world of personal finance. I know it did me, and I'm in the world, but I haven't really dived deep into this area. So I definitely, it definitely opened my eyes. Uh, I thought it was very interesting. It gave me a fresh perspective, and I would love to hear your takeaways on this one. So make sure to let us know your thoughts and whether in our community on in our Facebook group or on social media. And if you do share on social media your thoughts, make sure to use the hashtag her money matters. Now setting economic equality or inequality aside, if you are trying to get your financial house in order, the my daily money ritual is a perfect spot to start with this. It's a simple worksheet that helps you regroup your financial life, whether and how you are feeling about money to the practical how-tos of money you are feeling challenged by. So you can grab your free copy. It's waiting for you over at jenhempel.com forward slash ritual. So go on over and grab your copy now before you forget. Next week, on the podcast. It's just you and me again, and I am going to break down the different areas of financial services. I've been receiving questions about this matters and and confusion between financial counselors, planners, and the different services that are out there. What do, do, do they really do? What they don't do? What are some pros? What are some cons? All that. And someone very smart in our community suggested that I do an episode. Hello, why didn't I think of that? (laughs) Uh, uh, So therefore, the wish has been granted, right? So gracias, uh, Diana, for the suggestion. So that is a wrap for today. I want to thank Bryn for joining us, for sharing her story, for sharing all the goodness that she shared today. Make sure you check out this the show notes on this episode and where to find her book over at jenhemphill.com forward slash 155. Also, don't forget, if you love this episode, I would be honored, absolutely honored. Have I used absolutely like 10 times today? Okay, don't count. (laughs) Don't go back and count. But I would really appreciate you sharing this episode with your friends, family members, coworkers, or even a stranger. Because as I say, you never really know what's going on in in a person's financial life. And you never know if this episode or if this podcast or another episode would help them greatly. So share away. I greatly appreciate it. Appreciate you being here. And I will talk to you next Thursday. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao.